So let's get to John chapter 4. I want to go back and read the first section so it brings us up to speed on where we're at now. Okay, chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize, but his disciples did, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee, but he needed to go through Samaria. Remember, last week we see where he has his first encounter here with the woman at the well, the woman of the Samaritan woman. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour, twelve noon. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food, which sets up the scenario, the perfect scenario for Jesus to have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with the Samaritan woman, which, again, as we talked about last week, very controversial in and of itself. First of all, she's a woman. Secondly, she's a Samaritan, which the Jews would have nothing to do with. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. That's where we left off last week. So we pick it up today in verse 11. I'm going to continue reading here. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water, the living water, will thirst, oh no, the, the, um, the well water, will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst, but the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water, that I may not thirst, nor come here to draw. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You have well said, I have no husband. For you've had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. In that you spoke truthfully. The woman said to him, I perceive that you're a prophet. <laughs> Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this passage as we continue to explore this very interesting interaction between Jesus and the Samaritan woman. Lord, just speak to our hearts today. Cause your Holy Spirit to feed us through your bread of life, your word. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So, after Jesus tells her, verse 10, if you knew who you were talking to, you would be asking me for water, and I would give you living water. She doesn't get it yet. She says, you have nothing to draw with. The well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Where then do you get that living water? This is Jacob's well, remember? Very significant historical place. In fact, it still exists even today. But it's about 100 feet deep. Now, maybe for us in New Mexico, that doesn't sound so deep because in, if you live in the East Mountains, which we did for a while, many years ago, they're digging wells out there 300 deep plus. 
because the water is really far down. But 100 feet is still pretty deep, wouldn't you say? Picture a 100-foot-tall building, pretty deep. And she says, how are you going to get this water? Do you have... Apparently, there was no permanent apparatus attached to the well whereby one could draw water. Each person had to supply their own means of drawing the water from the well. But this woman's question, Jesus uh, speaking of spiritual things, she's taking it on the earthly level. This has been a big topic lately here. Taking the spiritual things of God's word and bringing them down to the earthly level. It should be the other way around. But this reminds me of the conversation Jesus just had in chapter 3 with Nicodemus, where Jesus tells Nicodemus, you must be born again. And you know what Nicodemus, this great spiritual leader of Israel, says to Jesus? Nicodemus said to him, John 3, 4, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Same kind of a reaction here with this woman at the well. Like Nicodemus she fails to comprehend the spiritual component of what Jesus is saying to her. However, she really got his attention. He really got her attention here. But she says to him in verse 12, Are you greater than our father Jacob? Do you have some kind of magical, mystical powers? Are you going to produce this living water out of thin air? I think I shared with you guys a while back about how we went to one of the... Um, um, APAC conventions, uh, the American Israel, um, I forget exactly what it all stands for now, American Israel, is John here of Olio? What? Political Action Committee. I don't think that's actually it, but it's, it's about right. Anyway, they had an awesome display there in the lower level of the, of the convention center in Washington, D.C. with all these wonderful Israeli inventions. I mean, Israel is really at the top in the technological realm. And they came up with this machine. It, kind of, it just looks like a, you know, a water dispenser thing like you might see in your office. But this machine was able, actually able to draw moisture out of the air and filter it and provide drinking water from air. It was amazing. And that, I guess that's kind of what she's asking Jesus. Can you do that? <laughs> How are you going to do this? Jesus answered and said to her, verse 13, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. So Jesus, just some rational common sense here. Jesus rightly states that the quenching of physical thirst is at best temporary, right? Boy, it was a couple days ago. I don't know why, but I was just so dehydrated and thirsty and licking my lips. And my wife was really worried about me. I'm just... I'm just dried out. But Jesus is right. It only provides temporary relief, right? You can go, supposedly, up to 40 days without food, just like Jesus when he went into the wilderness and fasted for 40 days and nights, and then the devil came to him to tempt him. But you can only go three days without water. Did you know that? And so, and it's kind of like the manna from heaven that God rained down on the children of Israel in the wilderness, in the desert. They weren't able to store it up. If God wanted them to rely upon him day by day, every day. What does the Lord's Prayer say? Give us this day our daily bread, right? But that doesn't just mean food. 
In fact, more than that, again, we interpret it on the physical level, but our daily bread is that which we need emotionally, mentally, spiritually, and physically. God is our source of sustenance on every level, but we need to seek him out daily for that. And so this earthly water, H2O, it'll give you temporary relief from thirst, but the longest you can go and still live is three days. And again, like I said last week, we see what Jesus is doing here. He's, he says to her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. He's, excuse the expression, priming the pump to bring her into spiritual insight. And you have to uh, laud Jesus for his patience. She's not getting it yet, but he's patiently leading her along, bringing her to a place where she can actually understand the spiritual aspect of what he's talking about. Verse 14, But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst, but the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. See, physically this is impossible. You drink this water, you will thirst again. Jesus says the water that I can give you, you'll never thirst again because it will quench your spiritual thirst for all eternity. People try everything they can, everything they can think of and get their hands on in an attempt to quench their spiritual thirst. But they try to do it with physical things. You've probably heard this analogy before. I think it might have been Campus Crusade for Christ many years ago, but I, I don't know who came up with this originally. It could have been long before that. But this idea that every human being has a God-shaped hole in their soul or their heart. Have you heard that before? It's an empty spot that only God can fill. And that's why people go on this unending pursuit of fulfillment through drugs. Again, the Bible says sin is profitable or enjoyable for a season. There's a time frame where, you know, and I guess in the beginning stages of drug addiction and why people get addicted is in the beginning it feels great. But the longer you do it, the more it destroys you, the less good feeling you get, and then it just becomes an act of desperation for survival. It's no longer about getting high, about feeling good. It's if you don't take it, your body goes into such violent contractions that you can't stand it. Drugs, alcohol, sex, pornography, money, power, fame, all of these pursuits really have to do with trying to quench that spiritual thirst. And the reason people get trapped in these things and head down that destructive road is because none of those things will ever quench your spiritual thirst. Because at the very core of your being, you are spiritual. God created us in His image. The Bible says God is a spirit. Those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. That will come a little bit later in this conversation. At the very core of our being, we are spiritual. Therefore, the real thirst, the real quest, the real need is at the spiritual level. Psalms 107 Verse 8, Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. 
for he satisfies the longing soul and fills the hungry soul with goodness. The things of the flesh can never satisfy the soul of man whose craving and longing is for a personal, intimate relationship with his or her creator. Why is it that people, again, it's, it's been happening for thousands of years, but I think it's gotten much, much worse in this time we're living in where people can't stay in a committed marriage relationship. Why do people jump from relationship to relationship to relationship? Because they're looking for fulfillment. There are things that your husband or your wife can never do for you. Only God can do for you. And if you expect your husband or wife to do the things that only God can do, it's not going to work. What about my needs? You're not meeting my needs. You know who wants to meet your needs? The God of creation. That's who. You're putting a burden on your spouse they can never bear. They're not God. They can't fulfill your deepest longings. Only He can. Jesus says, The water that I shall give him, or her, obviously, but in the Bible it speaks of mankind. It uses the male uh, gender throughout the book. It's, God is not a sexist. He's not a misogynist. It's just a general term for all of creation. And... It's not saying that men are any better or worse. God created the man first and then the woman because the man was incomplete without her. But don't get worked up about gender terminology in the Bible. The water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water, not a well. Wells can run dry. How many of you have had a well that ran dry? Some of you mountain folk. Hello, there's a few of you. It's a bummer. <laughs> and when we lived in the mountains, we were on a community water system, and there were still times when there were problems. It's kind of scary. A well can run dry, but Jesus says, the water that I shall give him will come a fountain, in him a fountain of water, and that will never run dry. A spring, a fountain that flows continuously in an unending stream. By the way, though, at the point where the, the fountain of water comes out of the stream, or, or the, uh, yeah, the stream, or uh, whatever have you, underground flowing water, uh, it can get clogged up where it comes out with leaves and other debris. You've got to keep it cleaned out. That's your daily prayer life, your daily Bible reading. That's your ongoing walk with God to make sure that water keeps flowing because the water's there but we can allow debris to get in the way and clog the flow. Ephesians. Well, as we discussed last week, first I'll say this. The source of this fountain that Jesus is speaking of is the Holy Spirit. We looked at this last week. Who comes to live inside us when we are born again. The Holy Spirit of God dwelling within us. The Bible says don't quench the Spirit. Don't grieve the Spirit. That's another way we can clog up the flow. Staying in right relationship with God. Confessing our sins. Repenting. Asking for forgiveness. Again, being faithful in prayer. Faithful in the word of God. To keep that water flowing. But the Holy Spirit is there inside of us. And he is the source 
of this living water. Ephesians 1.13, In him you also trusted, Jesus Christ, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed, listen to this, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. You're sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. That indicates you truly belong to God, you're a child of God, you're born again, and that's the source of this continuous flow of living water. John 7, 38. Oh, excuse me, I'm really skipping around here today. He says, the water that I shall give you will become in him a fountain of water, springing up, we sang that song last week at the end, spring up a well, springing up into everlasting life. Again, H2O will sustain our lives for a time, but the living water that Jesus promises will carry us on into eternity. And that's what it's all about. We keep talking about that. Everybody's focused on the here and now, folks. But if you read that Hebrews chapter 11, the Faith Hall of Fame, it talks over and over again about how they had their eyes on that city which was not made by human hands. The new Jerusalem, our eternal dwelling place, which will come down out of heaven as the ending of the millennium. Eternity, that's what it's all about. This life is temporary, whether you're a believer or not. You've got 70 or 80 years, if you're blessed, if you're fortunate, if it's God's will that you be here that long, but then we all move into eternity. Where are you going for eternity? This living water will carry us up into everlasting life. John 7, 38, Jesus says, He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart, not the physical heart, the Bible refers to our soul, the essence of who we are as the heart, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Not just a trickle. If you're a believer and you feel like all you've got is a trickle, maybe you need a little tickle. No. <laughs> you need to reevaluate, reexamine your prayer life, your time in God's Word, your time in Christian fellowship. The Apostle said, don't forsake the gathering together of the saints. A lot of people think it doesn't matter if I go to church as long as I believe. Well, not according to the Bible. According to the Bible, fellowship with like-minded believers is an essential aspect of spiritual health and growth. Time in the Word, time in prayer, time in fellowship, uh, the breaking of bread, the celebration of communion like we had here today. Revelation 7, 17. For the Lamb who is in the midst of the throne, obviously Jesus Christ, will shepherd them and lead them to fountains living fountains of water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And so it talks about this living water springing up into eternal life. That's where we're headed. That's our destiny, our destination in Christ to get to that place where there'll no longer be any sorrow, sadness, sickness, every tear wiped away. That's where we're headed in Jesus Christ. And then in Revelation 22, 1. The angel showed John, he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. This is in the New Jerusalem. In the middle of its streets and on either side of the river was the tree of life, remember that from the Garden of Eden, which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the trees were for the healing of the nations. 
And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. So this, literally, in the New Jerusalem, there will literally be a river of living water running through the middle of the New Jerusalem. Verse 15, The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. So she's really flipped the script here. She obviously finds Jesus' words very compelling. She's gone from, where are you going to get it? To, give it to me, I want it, I need it. And so we see by Jesus preparing her, being patient with her, all of a sudden, she still doesn't totally understand what it is, but she knows that she needs it, and she knows that she wants it. However, at this point, she's still equating his message with physical thirst. That's going to change here in a moment. You know what this, this tells me? Many people are drawn to Jesus not for what he can and wants to do in their lives, but for what they think they need. Again, physical things, emotional things. And again, as we talked about, he can do all that, the daily bread, spiritually, emotionally, mentally, physically. But they equate it more with the things of this world, the things of this earth, the material things. And that's what that fake, phony prosperity message does to people. It takes the wonderful, glorious message of the spiritual riches that we have in Christ and brings them down to a gaudy, earthly level. If you come to God, if you believe in Jesus, He will make you rich. Yeah, He will. Spiritually rich. Eternally rich. But many people view God, obviously some very negatively, as this evil dictator God who's just looking for the opportunity and the reason to crush them like a bug. But then there are others who tend to view him like a Disneyland daddy. He's supposed to be there at my beck and call to do my will. But what did Jesus say when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane? Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. We took the cup today. He was speaking of his unjust, merciless beating, torture, torment, nailed to the cross. He said, Lord... Father, if you've got a plan B, this is a great time to reveal it. He says, nevertheless, not my will. And this is the Son of God. There's only one, right? God only has one Son. This is the Son of God talking to his Father, saying, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. Because he knew what he was facing. Not just the physical torment, but even more than that, the mental, emotional, spiritual torment of carrying the weight of the sins of the entire human race, past, present, and future. Think of that. There's almost 8 billion people on this planet right now, and Jesus bore the sins of each and every one of them, plus all those that have gone before. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. Many people are drawn to Jesus not for what he can do, save your soul, forgive your sins, give you eternal life. They, again, they, they're equating it all to this temporary, present life situation. God will give you joy in this life. He doesn't promise you 
that you will not have trials and tribulations. In fact, just the opposite. Jesus said in the world, in this world, you will have tribulation. Not everyone is drawn to a message like that. I don't want tribulation. You're going to get it anyway. If you're going to get it anyway, let's go through it with God. Amen. Right? Amen. Look at the torment that the non-believers go through, and they don't have the comfort of God. They don't have the comfort of the body of Christ. The Bible says that God is the God of all comfort. That's another one of the enemy's multitude of deceptions. God won't do anything good for you. He's just going to put you under bondage. That's the whole message of the Illuminati, the Freemasonry, the Satanists, that God's the real meaning, and Satan is the enlightened one who wants to set you free to live your, quote, best life here and now. That's a lie from the pit of hell. Mark 8, 36. What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world? Jeff Bezos, Bill Gates, Klaus Schwab, those guys, George Soros. Now it's Alex Soros, his son. For those of us hoping George would soon go to meet his maker, now his son's taken over. What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? They don't get it. They don't get it. Romans 14, 17. For the kingdom of God. How many of you here today are members of the kingdom of God? Amen. In Jesus Christ. That was the message when Jesus came. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. For the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus told Nicodemus, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. You cannot become a part of God's kingdom unless you're born again. But if you've been born again, you are a part of God's kingdom. And Paul tells us in Romans 14, 17, the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. What does he mean? It's not earthly things. It's not physical things. Our bodies are our vehicle in this life. Just like you, if you want to drive your car, you've got to fill it up with gas, right? So we've got to eat, we've got to drink water or whatever, tea, iced tea, you know, whatever floats your boat, so to speak. Preferably of non-intoxicating manner. But this is just our car. You know, we do our best to maintain it, but once you get... 150, 200,000 miles on it, it's probably not going to go much longer, right? So you get out of the car and you get a new car, Lord willing. And in this case, the new car is our eternal, immortal, imperishable, glorified bodies that God is going to give us. Paul says the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. I don't know what's going on here, but God just keeps hammering this point into me, out to you, that we as believers have got to stop looking at everything on the earthly, terrestrial level and start seeing things from God's perspective. The Bible says we are seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I'm overcome and overwhelmed by your enthusiasm. What show was like that where they, you know, the old TV shows, they would have the canned applause. 
but maybe it was laughing, one of those shows, you would hear just about what I heard a minute ago. A couple people clapping. That's okay. You don't ever have to clap if you don't want to. It is encouraging when you do. Okay, verse 16. I better hurry up here. <clears throat> Getting too wound up. Okay, I didn't finish the verse though. The kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, right living, doing the right thing, which we can only do with God's help, right? And we are clothed in His righteousness, no righteousness of our own. But the kingdom of God is righteousness, righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. And the great thing... <laughs> And the great thing about all three of those, it has absolutely nothing to do with your circumstances. It has nothing to do with how rich you are, how poor you are, or anything else. Righteousness, peace, and joy can be yours in Christ no matter what your situation is. So Jesus says to her, verse 16, she says, I want this water. Give it to me. I need it. I want it. It must be like that Fuji water. That <laughs> I never thought I'd see the day when people would pay money to buy bottles of water. When I was a kid, water was free. I mean, you had a water bill. It wasn't very much. And when you're in public, you had water fountains. You get water anywhere you go. Now everybody's afraid to drink the water unless it's in a bottle, a plastic bottle, which has all kinds of toxic chemicals infused into it. Again, who do you think's running the show, folks? The devil. Next time you drink that bottle of water, just think, the devil made me do it. Yeah, in Arizona, when we were kids playing out in the hot sun, we'd just turn on the hose, wait till the hot water came out, get a nice, cool, fresh drink of water from the hose. It had kind of a neat taste to it, actually. <laughs> I, have a, I had a water tester at home. I had one of those zero water pitchers, and they give you a tester with it so you can test your water. And after you put it through the zero water filter, the particulates were almost zero. So then I took a bottle of water and tested it. Several hundred particulates. So it's a big scam, folks. This whole world's a big scam because the devil is the prince of this world. Okay? Okay. I'm trying. I'm trying. Go call your husband and come here. If you want this living water, go get your husband. We'll all talk about it together. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you have well said, I have no husband. So technically correct when she says, I have no husband, but potentially deceptive and misleading. None of us have ever done that, have we? Jesus said to her, you've well said, I have no husband. Actually, this is a godly setup again. It sure helps to be omniscient, to be all-knowing like Jesus. He told her to go get your husband. Why? Because he knew she didn't have one. She was living with the guy. 18, for you have had five husbands, 
Do you think Jesus knows all things? Absolutely. The one whom you now have is not your husband, and that you spoke truly. Got to give you credit for that. Man, this lady could have set a record even in this day and age. Five husbands. And knowing this, folks, think about this now. Jesus still reaches out to her. How many pastors and, and Christians would seek to help someone like this? Or would they just be shunned? We've gone from one extreme to the other. Not that long ago in the church, if someone found out you're divorced, you'd be totally ostracized. Now the church doesn't give a rip. No big deal. Get a divorce. Dump the guy. Dump the gal. Neither one is right. It's not right to shun someone because they've been caught up in a sin, been trapped, and you don't even know the details of the circumstances by which they were divorced. So we don't shun them, we don't reject them, but we certainly don't promote something that God hates. The Bible says God hates divorce. Again, the enemy is always trying to take us to one extreme or the other. And God wants us walking that straight and narrow path with his help. James 2.13, For judgment without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. As Christians, we're called to be like God. God is merciful. We need to be merciful. Okay? Let me read that again. For judgment without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Thank God it does. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. We deserve to be punished for eternity in hell. But by the grace of God and the mercy of God, we have the opportunity to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and receive the precious gift of eternal life. Amen. Okay. Maybe we aren't going to... Oh, I only got one. Okay. Matthew 18, beginning in 23. This is a long passage, but I felt like I should read it. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. It's a lot of dough. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and that payment be made. The servant therefore fell down before him saying, Master, have patience with me and I will pay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him and forgave him the debt. This is God forgiving us through Jesus Christ. But, listen to this, that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred bucks, denarii, we'll just say a hundred bucks, no big deal, compared to 10,000 talents that he owed his master. But that, we'll see, okay. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat saying, wow, he actually grabs him by the throat. Pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, have patience with me and I will pay you all. And he would not, but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant, 
I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry. This is God, by the way, the master. And delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. So my heavenly Father also will do to you if each of you from his heart do not forgive his brother his trespasses. You know one of the biggest issues in the world today in our society, in our culture, and even within the church is unforgiveness? It's destructive. It's deadly. God hates it. And God is the one who forgave us that massive debt of sin. He had pity on us. He had mercy on us. He sent his son Jesus Christ to pay the price for our sins. And then we turn around and we judge our brothers and sisters in Christ. If you do that, if you don't forgive, if you don't let go, it's going to mess with your head, your mind, your will, your emotions, the very core of your being. Unforgiveness is terminal, deadly. The Bible says don't let any root of bitterness grow up within you. Okay, this is a message from the Lord, guys. It's so important. We've all been challenged with it. I'm not saying it's a piece of cake to forgive those who have offended you in some way, those who have hurt you in some way, but it's absolutely essential that we do it. How do you do it? You remind yourself of what God's done for you, how much he's forgiven of you, right? So he says, you've had five husbands. We're just one minute over so far, not too bad. You've had five husbands. That, can you imagine? You're standing there talking to this guy, and he's reading your mail, as we used to say. You've had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. After five husbands, she says, to heck with it. I'll just live with the guy. Does this sound familiar? People so often, often overlook the fact that God knows everything. People actually think they can hide things from God. He's really busy. There's a lot worse people out there than me. He'll never notice. <laughs> He's omniscient. He's all-knowing. You can fool some of the people some of the time. You can't fool God any of the time. The good news, God doesn't expose our sins to condemn us, folks. He exposes them to save us. Get it? People are afraid for other people to know who they really are. And they're even afraid for God to know, but he already knows. And he loves you anyway. Just like Jesus with the Samaritan woman. He knows everything. He could have cut this conversation. He could have nipped it in the bud. Wow, man. Father. This lady's been married five times. Now she's living with a guy. I don't want to touch her with a 10-foot pole. No, he wants to lead her to salvation. We studied this a few weeks ago. John 3.17, right after John 3.16, For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Then the very next verse, Jesus says, for God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world. That happens next time. <laughs> That's why this time is so important. 
He did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So in that you spoke truly. At least you're being honest about the fact that you don't have a husband, but you are living with somebody. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. You think? (laughs) But you see what's happening here. Slowly but surely, she is starting to wake up to spiritual truth. Next week, the conclusion of this most unique and amazing encounter. Let's stand. We're going to bring the lights down a bit. Let's bow our heads before the Lord. If you have a prayer request, please raise your hand. Not as many today, but quite a few. Okay, Father. Wow, Lord, you've, you've talked to us about a lot of things here today, Lord. About our, our walk with you, the living water. How the, living, the spring never dries up. But sometimes we can allow things to get in the way and clog the opening where the spring of living water comes out. Lord, we pray this morning you'd help us. If there's anything in our lives that shouldn't be there, help us to repent, to confess those sins before you. Lord, if it's unforgiveness in particular, we talked about that today, how deadly that is, how harmful that can be, that judgment without mercy will be shown to the one who does not extend mercy to others. Lord, help us to always be mindful of the incredible debt that you paid for for us. You paid it off. You redeemed us. You paid the price for all of our sins that we might be forgiven. Help us never to forget that and help us to extend that same mercy to those around us, Lord, that we might not be guilty of what Jesus talked about in that parable. Lord, for those who are struggling this morning with that, they've been hurt, they've been wounded, they've been possibly abused, mistreated. And sometimes, Lord, these things are a matter of our own perception. We can misunderstand and misperceive something, take offense where we never should have taken offense. But Lord, whether the violation is genuine or not, please help us to forgive, to let go of those things, to give them over to you, to not allow that root of bitterness to grow up within us. Lord, I pray right now in Jesus' name that you'd set the captives free. Lord, there may be some in this room right now who have been held captive by these feelings, by these emotions. Lord, anger, bitterness, resentment, jealousy, unforgiveness, please deliver us in the mighty name of Jesus. Please forgive us for harboring these ungodly feelings and thoughts. I pray that you'd replace it with your peace, your joy, and your righteousness in the mighty name of Jesus. Lord, we pray for physical healing for those who are struggling with health issues. Lord, there are some here today who have had cancer but are in remission. We pray that they would continue in remission. There are others that have it even right now. We ask in the mighty name of Jesus, For your love, your grace, your mercy to be poured out upon them, that you would deliver them, that you would heal them, that they might have a powerful testimony to give to anyone and everyone around them of your miraculous healing power, of your love for the human race. We pray for that healing in Jesus' name, not only for cancer, but for other health issues as well, whatever it might be, Father. Any type of virus, infection, bacteria, COVID, Although I'm sure, Father, it's not as bad as they would like us to believe, but some people do get it. I have it. Pray for healing, no matter what the physical issue is, Lord, whether it's gastroesophageal reflux disease, GERDs, 
Lord, it can be so many different things. These bodies, we talked about it. They wear down. They wear out. We ask for your healing in Jesus' name. We pray for financial provision. Lord, for those who are in need, help us as a body of Christ to be aware, to be sensitive, to be able to help one another, another whenever and however possible. We acknowledge that you're our provider. We pray for wisdom and guidance from you on how to manage our resources. And we pray that you would take care of your children just like you promised. We pray finally for marriages that are struggling or broken, relationships. Lord, please pour out your healing upon these as well. That marriages might be restored, that you would bind the enemy from coming in. He is the one who comes to kill, to steal, to destroy. We pray for healing and restoration and marriages and friendships and other types of relationships. Thank you, God. All the things that we struggle with, nothing is impossible for you. Nothing is too difficult for you. And even when it seems hopeless and overwhelming, we know there's always hope through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We thank you and we praise you. In his name we pray. Amen.